Welcome to Libre Lounge, a podcast about free software, free culture, and all the other interesting aspects of user freedom. With Christopher Lemmer Weber and Serge Broklowski. Hey, Chris. Hey, Serge. So we have been talking about ActivityPub, and I think it's time to go one step deeper and really start talking about the parts of ActivityPub that are not part of the standard or maybe less well-known. How's that sound to you? Sounds good to me. So there's maybe a little bit more of that than people might think, but I don't think that's actually necessarily a problem. Uh, Maybe I should give the history of why that is. The history is... Um, you know, there were some parts in the standard that we knew when we were doing standardization that they really weren't decisions that were kind of ready to be made. Or there were the, the related standards were not actually at recommendation standards as phase. So because of that, we did leave some of these gaps, but the community has kind of a current set of ways that things tend to be com- deployed. So I think we're going to talk about what those are and and what what kind of the the current generation of activity pub implementation assumptions are that sounds good and uh, actually this is one of the things that I like about I, I both love and hate about activity pub frankly when you first if you're an implementer and you first look at activity pub it seems like there's a lot missing and there absolutely is and so what you have to do is you have to look at is best practices of, at the time, which aren't necessarily in the standard itself. So you kind of have to, just, well, what is everyone else doing? You have to look at that rather than the than the standard. But that also means that if things change, ActivityPub could change along with it. Yep. Um, so I guess the first big thing is WebFinger. And actually, this is maybe the one... Maybe one of the things that is is most controversial to me, but I think is maybe least controversial to the current Fediverse. Do you want to explain what WebFinger is? Right. So if we think about the way that people are used to working with account names, if we go back to our first uh, episode of ActivityPub, we said that uh, that uh, actors were roughly analogous to accounts. People are used to seeing the user at host form for accounts. So, you know, Serge at blah, 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 or Chris at blah, blah, blah. They're not used to seeing HTTP colon slash slash da, 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 slash this as, a, as an, an account name. And because of that, we can use WebFinger to map the uh, account, for the, the sort of user at form to actors. And because... Uh, activity because WebFinger is not part of ActivityPub, we can also use it to map other things. But for our discussion, we can just say, well, it's a simple, easy way to map the two. And it doesn't really require very many resources. It's a pretty simple thing to write and easy to implement. Is is that that kind of match what you think, Chris? Yeah, so I think that's a pretty good uh, explanation of things. I think that the reason why people are used to uh, the you know user at foo is basically because email had such a large amount of influence over messaging, right? Because that's what people primarily interact with, right? And it it is nice that the the username is right up front, so you're you're that's probably the first thing you're thinking about is who you're interacting with, um, rather than where they are. Um, so that's nice. And, uh, and there have been a few other things that have used similar conventions, uh, even though email does not use WebFinger, it just looks like it. Um, similarly, also Jabber looks, um, Jabber slash XMPP, their usernames kind of follow the same convention. And so from that perspective, uh, WebFinger seems really nice. And because it seems like such a good fit, um, also because some of the previous Federation standards, like for example, OStatus and also Diaspora standard, um, use WebFinger kind of at their core, um, a lot of people have been like, well, why on earth didn't ActivityPub require WebFinger? Um, and I'm going to actually make the case for why that's not the case. Um, the, So, again, I think it makes sense that current implementations have done this because of the way that people are currently writing web applications and using web applications. Um, 
let me give an example of where it wouldn't make sense. So let's say we had users running servers that were instead of over DNS, where it's like, you know, uh, you know, at foobar.example, you know, like Mike at foobar.example. Instead, let's imagine that they were hosting it over a Tor Onion service. So it was like Mike at, you know, and then a giant string, like positively giant, um, like of, you know, just a bunch of random looking numbers and letters and stuff like that, dot onion, right? So we're going to get into a future episode, how we might deal with identifiers that are like this, and also why it is that decentralized and globally unique systems actually require this kind of gobbledygook identifier. But I'm just going to say for the moment that if we wanted to, there are good reasons to not want to use DNS and to use things like, you know, Tor Onion services and things like that to make kind of bridge activity pub to more peer-to-peer systems. But since that's not what's happening right now, it's understandable that Webfinger appears to be so appealing. Let me let me rephrase that or restate that. I, I don't. I, I think you're making an important point. So and I think you're actually making two points, and I'm going to get to the other one that you haven't quite made yet because I, I think we're on the same page here. For applications as they're developed today in the social media realm, Webfinger makes a lot of sense. It says we're going to map this at you know this username at host form to ActivityPub. And that works when our primary um, application is users. And that makes sense when our primary or when our host name is a DNS-based host name or a host name system that uh, is human-friendly. But that breaks down in two circumstances. It breaks down when as you said, in Onion, where you might, or, or in other services where you don't have friendly names. And it also breaks down if uh, you have accounts that are not mapping to human beings, but maybe mapping to services. And I know that that's part of Sprightly and some of the things you've been thinking about, which is, hey, what happens when actors are just these transient services that are running kind of like processes, kind of like little programs that are not necessarily tied to an actual account? Um, but for, for this discussion, I think we can just say that this is just a simple way. And, and, and I want to get just a little bit of implementation. It doesn't need to get real deep. It just basically says a web finger works by you have a web service and it ha- it's at a known resource. So basically a known slash. It's dot well known something, something, something. And then you, you basically make a request to it and it gives you back a very simple JSON web page. Um, and since we've talked about JSONLD... Um, one thing to know is that the the data you get back here is not JSON-LD data. It's just plain JSON. Yep, that's right. So, there, so I think that kind of examining that and whether or not that's a good idea from kind of the statements that I've made is something we'll explore in future episodes. I'll also say that, you know, the reason why HTTP or uh, what the reason why we have URIs currently are basically HTTP type URLs in ActivityPub is that uh, ActivityPub is very web centric. So currently, your username is basically this HTTP based URL. However, that said, you know if we wanted to, we could, and I actually think it's a good idea too, much better kind of write down and standardize how the current way of mapping WebFinger IDs two HTTP-based systems works. And I think that that's healthy, even if I'm making the argument that in the long run, this might not be the way that the best way that we want to do it. Yeah, or we can even, you know, I can make a watered-down version of that, which is it shouldn't be the only way. There, right. I, think, I think there are applications in which this makes a lot of sense, and then there are applications in which it, will, in which it won't make any sense. So it's good. I think it's good that it's not included. I, I also think that it's, it's good that it's used, at least in the current generation. And then for those future, those future applications, we can discuss it then and we can talk about. And I think that'll be, a good, that'll be a good time to talk about why it may not make sense. So do you want to break here or do we want to just go dive right into HTTP signatures? Um, up to you. Right, let's take a quick break. We like these breaks. And then we'll then we'll dive into HTTP signatures, which I think is the next and biggest piece. 
Okay, sounds good. During these breaks, we'd like to thank projects which are important or influential. GNU Mailman is a mailing list program that brought free software mailing lists into the modern world. Mailing lists are still important today, and chances are, if you're on a mailing list run by free software, it's Mailman. Thanks, Mailman! And we're back. Hello, right, Chris. Hello. <laughs> so, before we dive into the solution, let's talk about the problem. When you look at ActivityPub, you see that there are all of these parts of the standard that's, uh, that say, okay, well... Um, Based on the user's authentication, you should they should get the sorry the um, not user but the the application's authentication. It should get this result or that result. That should be filtered. They should or shouldn't be able to do this or that. But it never specifies what that authentication is. And when I first read ActivityPub, I was really frustrated by that. I said, "Well, I, I don't even know what I'm going to do." And then I was even more frustrated as an as an early implementer or somebody, somebody trying to implement this. Because I said, well, wait a second, I know how to do authentication on my own services, right? On web applications that I've written, I can do, I can do all kinds of authentication. But what I can't do is authenticate against other services, right? So, if, so I can't say, well, I'm going to authenticate against you. And there are protocols for this like OpenID, but they also require us to have some kind of pre configured, you know, predetermined connection between just you and I, and, and they don't really fit into a, into a internet scale federated service. And when I found out about HTTP signatures, that was a huge relief because A, it, it allows for this kind of authentication and B, because it, it's relatively simple. These um, problems, especially around federation, when we think about how do we know? So, so let's talk about the problem. The problem is that if you have two computers that are that that don't share um, the same system for users and passwords and permissions and all of that, you need to know that a user on one system is really who they say they are. Right. Right. So if I'm sending, so I'm going to give you a, a false version of this. But if I'm sending you an email. Am I really the person sending you the email? Now, email is a terrible example because from a protocol standpoint, it doesn't map to the way we're going to talk about it. Um, so you, d you don't necessarily know that. But in, but in ActivityPub, with HTTP signatures, which we're about to discuss, you can be fairly sure that that's the case. Right. So um, let's think about the example that you just discussed. Uh, I'm going to there's, – there's a few terms – in security, which are sometimes confused, and we're going to try to make them not confusing, um, especially because two of them sound very similar. One of them's authentication and one of them's authorization, and they're two very different things that sound very similar but are kind of interrelated at sometimes. So well, let's, start let with, me... let's start with identification then. Okay, identification is um, – so in this scenario, you were sending me a file, if I remember correctly. So in this scenario, the identity – is you, right? So you are the identity. Now let's move yeah. that to activity pub terms. Uh, in activity pub terms, that's your actor, right? Um, if we remember previous episodes where we talked about every activity pub message having, you know, an actor and activity and the, and usually an object that is the activity is being performed upon. In this case, it's the actor. So Serge is, you know, creating this, you know, you know, file that they're sending to me. I'm going to get Serge's ID um, as the, their actor ID, and I can retrieve it in ActivityPub and get back a JSON object that represents Serge. And so that's the identification part is the, the representation of, you know, here's this identifier that refers to you. But if you sent me that message, how do I know that you're the one that sent the message. And that's where authentication comes in. Um, so authentication is uh, when uh, the way that it's done in act, uh, the way that it's done using HTTP signatures is that when you send the message, um, the, there, the HTTP uh, request that you're making to my server's inbox is actually signed in one of the HTTP uh, headers. It's that it's got some sort of signature on the message. Now, 
that signature that signature is made by it turns out the very same key that's linked to on your profile. I mentioned retrieving Sarah's profile uh, just a minute ago. So when I retrieve Sarah's profile, I'll see here's Sarah's public key, and because of that, um, I'm able to actually authenticate um, that Serge is the one who who sent me this file. Right. So just to re- just to repeat that and make sure that we're on the same page, when I send you a message, I have a public-private key pair on the server, and when I send you, when I make the request to you, so my server to your server, my server is going to use my private key. It's going to sign the message, and it's going to send that message over to you. It's not going to encrypt it, but it's going to sign it to you. There, you can take a look at my public key because it's linked to my profile. You can then verify that the data is coming from me and that the message has not been tampered with. That's right. That's right. So I know it's coming from you. So that's identification and authentication just covered. You know, Serge is identity. Making sure that Serge really was the person who sent it is the authentication. What we didn't discuss and is a separate topic is authorization, which is whether or not Serge is allowed to do an activity. And on this episode, we're not going to talk about that. Yeah, that's a that's a that's a whole other topic, and it's probably interesting. And you know, we've talked about object capabilities, and there are other there are other alternatives, but I don't think we want to go there. Where I do want to go, Chris, is gee, you've got this public-private key pair. And I have now signed my message to you. Does that mean that we have end-to-end encryption? Uh, no, right? So the uh, so this is, you know, typically your server sending the message to my server, but my server receiving the message, um, while the connection between the two servers is conventionally, as it's currently done in ActivityPub, you'll be doing it over HTTPS, which means that it's over, you know, SSL or TLS, um, which means that the connection between these two servers is secure. Serge's server, having sent it to my server, my server can see what that message is, right? So you didn't encrypt the message, which means that let's say you're on, if I'm the person who who hosts and controls the server, uh, and uh, later on when I connect with my client, I'll see that message and if I'm the one that controls it and I really, really do control it, um, then in that case, we could say, well, I'm the only one who is seeing the message. But very frequently today, people are on servers that are hosted by another entity. So like, for example, people are on the same server at, you know, I'm on octodon.social. Um, there is an administrator named Alice who, you know, if somebody sends me a private message, Alice could read my private messages. Hopefully she's not and being polite. Uh, but, um, but, you know, I, I'm aware that that's a possibility. Similarly, if you're on Gmail and I send an email to you, even if there's an SSL connection between our two servers, uh, Google's system administrators could read your message, right? So it's the same problem right there. So, so to, to restate that a little bit, cause I, cause you said a lot and very quickly, I'm going to start with the question of end to end encrypted. So when we talk about end to end for people that aren't necessarily as familiar with this term, it just means that from one client to the other, it, in between, it's completely encrypted. And that's not the case here. Uh, the servers will have plain text. And then you might say, well, that's terrible. That might be. We don't know if it's terrible or not, but we know that it's no worse than email because email is exactly the same. Right. Well, I mean, we can make some judgments about whether or not it's terrible. And it's it's certainly not great, right? You know, like I would like to do better. But I think I think just talking about it as is today as is today, you know, it's no worse than email. It's no worse than XMPP. Right. It's, is it's no worse than email. And and notably, both email and XMPP have layers in which you can add end to end encryption. And we could add end to end encryption in a very similar way in ActivityPub, right? So um, this, but, the same but I did way... want to add one more piece to that. Okay, before before we get into the before we get into that theoretical. Right, so there is encryption taking place at the HTTP TLS layer, right? right? So the standard encryption that you're used to with websites is taking place here, at least in most implementations. So that's taking care of the of the transmission, you know, the on the wire encryption. This is just can the two servers know that the, that they're talking that the message is coming from 
or representing the, the user that they think it is. And for that, we have HTTP signatures. And again, you have something that kind of looks like a PGP, you know, because you have a public-private key pair. And then that, that public-private key pair is getting used to sign the message. And specifically, and I think this is one of the things that's a little bit confusing for people who are used to different you know, systems like email is, when you're when I create a post, all you know. Let's say I have a bunch of followers. Let's say Chris and I have. Let's say I have ten followers. My system is going to send that message to my followers. So when my when my system, my server does that transmission, it says, "On behalf of Serge, I am sending you this message. On behalf of Serge, I am sending you this message." I'm assuming that these are ten different servers, right? So to each of these servers, it's taking that message and signing it. And saying I'm I'm representing Serge, and the way that these servers know that that my my server is being truthful is by looking at my um, my public key, which is part of my profile, and saying, "Yep, that's right." So I do have a couple of questions here that may be a little bit geeky, and and if they're too geeky, we can take them out. Um, so HTTP signatures is not part of ActivityPub standard. And yet, it's part of my actor profile and not part of Webfinger. Right. Help so, me understand um, that. Yeah, yeah. So, um, first of all, this is where extensions to ActivityPub are really useful, right? Like, the the fact that um, it wasn't in the standard didn't mean that applications weren't able to add this, right? So, uh, in the ActivityPub standard, instead, it, and I know this is kind of goofy, but it links to a wiki page which documents the current uh, kind of community standards um, which is, you know, the, the social community group has defined. And the, that page actually says it, this is the way to do it as HTTP signature is pretty much everybody's doing it, right? But it's using a different vocabulary, which has defined that public key object, which isn't actually in activity streams itself. Uh, we, we don't need to worry about what that vocabulary is or whatever it's for the moment, but, you know, it is an extension. Um, and what you also said is that, you know, it's on, you know, where is it? It's not in Webfinger, right? The Webfinger thing is not actually where it appears. It's that very actor JSON object. When I retrieve your actor uh, object, it actually has it there as a property, again, using a JSONLD extension, uh, say, with that, you know, public key property. Um, did that answer your question? Yeah, I think so. So do we want to take another break or jump into some other real-life considerations? Wait, I've got a couple more things oh, along this okay. line I would like to say. Okay. Um, so one of them is uh, – so one interesting thing is also that we just talked about HTTP signature. So where is that signature? Is it on the JSON object that you sent me or is it on the HTTP request? Well, with HTTP signatures, it's actually on the HTTP – uh, request object that you sent me, which means that it's not actually attached to that object. So if you forward that object to somebody else, um, it's not preserved. Um, so if you do a, a repost or a share or whatever, you won't actually see that. You'd have to either retrieve the object yourself or something like that to be able to actually verify that that's there. Now, that actually leads some people to be like, well, I'd like actually the signature to be attached to the JSON object for various reasons. There have not there has not been consensus on the way to do it. The way that Mastodon currently does it, um, and kind of the the best current recommendation is you can use something called linked data signatures so that you can put the signature on the object. And now, if you forward that message to other people, we can be sure that it really still I could the person that I if I forward it to Bob, Bob can still be sure that you know Serge is the one that actually originally sent that message. Um, so that's one point I'd like to make. Also, you brought up the end-to-end -end encryption side of things and that it's not end-to-end -end encrypted. Um, I just wanted to say that there have been discussions to add end-to-end -end encryption to ActivityPub, and uh, I think we know how it would work. Um, it would basically be kind of wrapping it in this envelope activity. One interesting side effect of that is, well, the server can't handle the side effects that currently ActivityPub servers have, right? So what happens if I do a follow in ActivityPub, but if I send it, that follow to you end-to-end -end encrypted? Well, the server can't actually act on the follow because the server never will have seen the follow, right? Only your client will have seen the follow. So the, the server now can't add to the follower's count. Does that make sense? It, it does. Um, 
I think for a future episode, we'll want to talk about these topics in, in some in some depth, because uh, I have a lot of thoughts about, about these. Um, but I think they're outside of the scope of this episode. I, although I think this is a fascinating topic, and I've got a lot of thoughts and questions and and ideas. I don't want to. I don't want to make this uh, too deep. Okay. Uh, okay. On that topic. We'll, we'll, we'll move into the the future of Activity Pub stuff uh, on some future episodes. You're right. This is mostly about um, the current the generation current, of the current Activity generation, Pub stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So another break or or yeah. Jump. Let's take a break. Okay. Let's take a break. During these breaks, we like to thank projects which are important. And for me personally, GraphIs is one of those projects. When I need to make complicated visualizations of interconnected information, GraphIs is the tool. Thanks, GraphIs. Do, 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 do. We are taking a break. I might, I might keep that. Uh, <laughs> all right, Chris, we're back. Uh, after an entertaining break, uh, yes. so as a person who was a former system administrator for a long time, one of the first thoughts that I had when reading Activity Pub was about the concern about. Um, so let's go back to just the basics of how Activity Pub works. Um, when I send a message. To you, uh, my server is going to make an attempt to connect to your server, so it's a push type of system, right? So my server tries to send to your server. Now, what happens uh, if, and this is just like email, right? So if I'm sending you an email, my server sends an email to you. Yep. If, what happens if your server is down for some reason or is unavailable or maybe my server is having DNS you know, look up issues or something has gone wrong, what happens to that message? Now, in email, this is well-defined. It says, you're my server, you need to back off, you need to, you need to slow down, and you've got a maximum wait time of five days. And um, I believe that there was a reason behind the five days, which is five days is a long weekend plus two days which I think is a great um, answer, by the way. Five, a weekend, a long weekend plus two days is perfect. It's not super long, and it's not, and it's not too short. Um, it, ActivityPub, as it's written, does not specify how long to do message retries, or even that you need to do message. It, it says you should do them, but it doesn't specify really what, it, um, what that looks like. So it actually kind of does. Actually, they're in section B7, Federation Denial of Service. Uh, and so it it might not be obvious because it's mentioning in the Federation Denial of Service section. But what it says is servers should be careful not to overload servers with submissions, for example, by using an exponential backoff strategy. Um, it probably should have done better to tie that over to this is um, one of the reasons we have this here is that it's actually tied to when servers go offline. But the recommendation here was also to like, you know, if a server that's, that's part of the reason for the exponential backoff is both if a server is overloaded and it's not responding, or if a server actually was just offline and thus was not responding. Um, I think it could have done a better job of mentioning that, but it does mention exponential backoff. Um, but you're right, but it doesn't do the cool thing of uh, the, the email sysadmin weekend thing. Yeah, I, I I did actually see that um, now now that you mentioned it, but it is in a weird section because I don't think of that as a um, I don't think of that as a denial, denial of service issue. I think because there are plenty of other reasons that systems might be unavailable. Right, it's in the security consideration section, and maybe that wasn't the obvious place to look for it. Um, okay, I know there were some things about HTTP two hundred one and activity guarantees that you want to talk about, and I have and I have one more. Um, after that, and I'm sure there's others. Right. So I actually think the HTTP 201 thing, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, I think it's only in uh, the client to server part of the protocol, right? Yeah. It's uh, So that's actually, um, there is no requirement for uh, any sort of response code when you end up delivering an object in Federation, right? So if I send a message... If I send a message to Serge saying, hey, you know, when are we doing the next Libre Lounge episode? Um, my, there's no requirement about what, um, about the server having to 
say HTTP two hundred one. To acknowledge it, yeah, it, right. It, it, well, it, I think it, it says that it, it. I think it's supposed to say two hundred okay. Uh, but I didn't actually look that up at the moment, so I could be wrong. It says um, it says you it says you're supposed to set a two hundred, but it doesn't specify that you know it's like yes, I've made that uh, object right. I've received it. I've received. Right, yes. I've received right. it because you know in Federation it's just well you got it now what are you going to do with it well you know it's kind of up to your server in some ways we specify what the expected side effects are but um, your server may be processing it asynchronously um, your server may and, not and your act- server might actually require that it be processed semi asynchronously so right. um, and in a future episode we'll talk about that I've wrote a little toy a toy implementation that we can just play with and I think you're working on something similar. A very simple toy activity pub server implementation, so that we can experiment with this kind of thing. But um, as far as I recall, and you might you might correct me, um, when I'm delivering an activity to you, you know, we, if we go back and we remember that the activity is just the what, it's I'm sorry, it's just the it's just the verb, it's not the what. I can say, well, I've created an activity. Uh, that activity is at some other URL. Go go fetch it. So I think you're. I think I think what you're. I think there's a little bit of confusion happening here because what I think where you're thinking about the two hundred one created is in the client to server protocol. Right, 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 right. Sorry. Okay. So I want to. We we should talk about these two separately. So let's start with the two hundred one created as a client thing, and then I want to talk about it from a server perspective, from server to server. So let's start with. Let's finish up your 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 client discussion. Right. So if it's in the client perspective. If you're doing client-to-server, and again, ActivityPub has not been as well adopted in client-to-server as I'd like, um, but when I submit an object to my outbox, I would like to know, well, where am I going to find that object? And what it, what your server is supposed to respond to is with HTTP 201 created with a location header saying where you'll find it. And it's not necessarily that the object will be there yet, but if I'm creating this note, I would like to know where the note will be once whatever processing needs to happen has happened. Yeah, I, I actually think that's a really, I think that's a cool thing. Yep. Um, so in the server to server thing, I mean, I think it's mostly as we discussed it, um, you receive the object. Um, I should have been smarter and pulled it up uh, before we, we ended up discussing it. But uh, um, I think that you know, once you get it, basically you are, um, unless if there's a explicit error, you don't need to actually have a specific HTTP response code because, again, your server might take a long time to be able to process an incoming message. And you, unlike in client to server, you don't have to say where that object is going to be because you're not the one creating it. You're the one getting it. Yeah, I'm just thinking about this from an implementation, from implementer standpoint. So if I'm thinking about this kind of like email, and I know this is not a perfect analogy because these two systems are not the same, um, but when I send an email from, from, from the SMTP perspective, right, from, the, from the, the, essentially the, the federation perspective, even though it's not used in, that, that term is not used in email much. When I send a message to you, and I, I can generally know whether that delivery was successful, right? Um, there'll be a lot of there'll be a lot of potential for rejection, but once once that message is is sent, I'm pretty sure it's been delivered uh, to your inbox. Now that's not always the case, but it's generally the case. Right. Here, I I guess I'm not I'm not sure if that still holds, right? From an implementation standpoint, I don't really know if if that implies that it will be delivered well i don't think well i mean i could end up sending an email to you and then it could end up uh, actually i think when when you send an email over smtp um you don't necessarily get a response back sometimes you get an email sent back saying that it, it failed to deliver right that email would have come from your system your, well, it might your, come from one email. or the other. I've gotten them from both. Oh, right? have you? Both okay. the receiving Fair server. Um, yeah. And you're right that it could have, it could have gone to like a spam folder or whatever. I guess I guess maybe this is more cultural than technical, and maybe um, it's, it, it, it's kind of surprising. I think is part of the thing. Okay, so 
We've talked about some of these uh, practical... Are there any other practical implementation issues that you think are um, things you want to discuss? Um, actually, there's one that I want to discuss, which is just... Um, you mentioned that you know, we've, we've mostly talked about server-to-server -server communication, federation. Um, but you've talked about that the ActivityPub is both a client server and a server server. But we haven't talked much about the client server protocol. So let's maybe we should talk about that. Why is that? Why do you think it's important to have a client server protocol be part of ActivityPub? And you said it's, it's, it's not been as successful. Maybe you can talk a little bit about why you think that might be. Okay. Well, there's a few things. Uh, so why would you want it um, is, well, so right now, uh, if you want to, like, let's consider, um, for example, um, right now, do you, how, if you wanted to speak to, uh, let's say Mastodon or Pleroma over your, um, in, on your like Android device, right? Um, you're probably going to install some sort of mobile client, right? Yeah. Okay. So, um, so since you're installing a mobile client, what, how does your client talk to the server? Well, it could, so the way that it's currently done in Mastodon is Mastodon has their own client to server API that they wrote well before they picked up ActivityPub and they've kind of added to since then. Um, but what if you're a, you know, peer tube or your, you know, whatever else, like, why do we need to have a, um, you know, like, why can't we just have a general purpose social messaging client to server protocol? Um, and the reason why I think it hasn't picked up is, um, is basically because a, a lot of people have done what Mastodon has done. And since Mastodon already had an API, they're like, well, we don't need the client to server API. And they had a need for the activity pub for the server to server API. Um, which, um, is one of the reasons it hasn't been adopted, but if you can think about what opportunities would, it would open up if people used the same client to server API that they used for, um, like if they're implementing activity pub server to server, why not implement client to server? That could mean that you could, if you have generic enough activity pub servers, you could, for instance, use the same mobile client to talk to all of these different activity pub servers, which means that you wouldn't need a Mastodon client, a Mastodon account and a PeerTube account and a blah, blah, blah account. You could just have one general account, right? Um, and you can use whatever clients are most appropriate for that, for your, your particular need. Um, the other side of things is that, um, uh, I think that it would be, well, I don't know. So I think that the reason it didn't happen well, okay, now I'm rambling. Did that? Did what I just say just make sense? Yeah, I would restate it, though. Um, ooh, that was a lot of noise. I'd restate it. I would say that we, especially from a free software perspective, and I realize that, that you're also coming at this from just a protocol perspective, but from a free software perspective, um, we have limited resources in terms of developers. And if every email server had their own protocol, uh, that would be a mess from an implementation right. standpoint. So instead, we use SMTP and IMAP, right? Those are and and now there's a JMAP, but um, that's a whole other discussion. Um, the but but that's we, a great have, point because nobody's arguing for why. Uh, like, let's have separate um, client to server protocols for email. That's like a really nice idea. Uh, right, right. Um, I don't really understand what you're saying, actually. No one's arguing. Oh, I was just for... saying nobody's arguing for Hotmail having a separate client-to-server protocol than Gmail. They do. Um, not Hotmail, but Outlook is. And what a pain in the butt it is from a, an implementation perspective where for, for years and years in the free software world, we've been trying to get Outlook support. And it's been challenging if not impossible so actually that's a perfect example of the problems that happen and specifically around vendor lock-in and from right. a free software perspective even if the server is free once you know when you have to make a client for every single server implementation it just fractures the work so by by 
union, you know, uh, uh, by bringing the clients together, we eliminate that problem or at least reduce it significantly. Right. And so the other nice thing that we can say is that um, client to server and server to server implementation, if you're doing one of them, the other isn't really hard in ActivityPub, especially at least if you're designing your program from scratch um, and you're starting out with, I'm going to make an ActivityPub-based application. Like the client-to-server application and protocol and like server-to-server protocol look almost the same. Yeah, with some authentication differences, sure. Yes, right, which isn't in the protocol itself. (laughs) Fair enough. So, um, okay, so I think we've talked a little bit about the client. I think we can jump in unless you want unless you want another break to talk about the tragedy of shared inboxes. Oh yes, so I have a lot of opinions about this, as you well know. I, I will um, take I will take a break while you talk about the tragedy of shared inboxes. Okay, well, um, I'm going to argue for what I think is the biggest mistake we made in ActivityPub, but it's a mistake that I am empathetic for the reason why we made. Um, so. In ActivityPub in general, when you're sending a message, uh, the general case is that ActivityPub is optimized for private messages, actually, where you're sending uh, your to field and your you know CC field and stuff like that, um, or even messages to your followers, you're, you're addressing each one of those things specifically in the same way that in your e- email client, you're selecting different recipients. Um, however... The uh the the first exception that we made to that in the ActivityPub protocol was um uh we made something called public inbox and public inbox what said okay here's a special thing that you can set as a recipient that doesn't actually point at anything um but we know if we see this URL in there that it's a public post that everybody's okay to share around as much as possible and in fact a actor can say, hey, here's where, and we made a public inbox property saying, here's where you can deliver all the public inbox posts that you know about. All the public posts you want and know about, you can just siphon them all in here so that everybody can see as much of the same shared public timeline as possible. So when we designed it that way, I think that part of the design was actually pretty good. The problem ended up coming in uh some larger servers ended up saying, well, uh, you know, and this is the case, both feedback we got from the diaspora developers and also from Mastodon folks was, well, okay, but we don't just have a bunch of small servers out there. We have some of these mega nodes. So Mastodon.social, for example, is a really large node. And if, uh, you know, if somebody is, you know, if Gargron is sending out a post from Mastodon.social to a comparatively large server, um, it doesn't make sense for Mastodon.social to have to, let's say the other server has 4,000 followers of Gargron. It doesn't make sense for Mastodon.social to have to send that message 4,000 times to that server. So um, we were like, well, how can we fix this? Well, okay, you know what? Here's what we can do. The first approximate suggestion that we made was let's make um, something called shared inbox. And shared inbox was going to take on, um, we suggested, well, it could take on both roles as public inbox or maybe not. Maybe they could be separate. We hadn't quite decided, but we at least agreed with shared inbox. Um, the way that you could get around it, um, was the first version of shared inbox we suggested said, when I send a message, so let's say Alice's mega node is sending a message to Bob's mega node. Uh, when Alice's mega node server sends that message to Bob's mega node server, Alice can send it instead to the shared inbox and list and put in the HTTP header a full list of all of the actors that are going to get that message. And because of this, you only have to do an HTTP request once with, you know, a somewhat sizable header, but you don't have to make 4,000 HTTP requests. So I actually think this was a pretty good suggestion. Um, but we heard feedback from the Mastodon developers who at that time were the only large developers of ActivityPub saying, no, 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 no. The way that we're going to do deployment is we don't, we actually know who all your followers are. 
uh, on our end because we're tracking that. So all you have to do is send it to the shared inbox and we already know who to send. If we see that it's to your followers, we already know who all your followers are on our side. So if Alice is sending the message to a bunch of followers on Bob's server, then Bob's server says, I already know from all the follow requests I've gotten who this message is supposed to go to. The problem is, um, and so we said, okay, Mastodon's the one really big uh, activity pub implementation at this time. Let's go forward with that. And the problem that comes in is that we moved away from being a clean actor protocol for, at that point. One, whenever somebody uses a shared inbox, because you're no longer have kind of this intentional message passing to specific actors. Um, the intermediate shared inbox thing would have still been able to hold that up. But the, the way that we ended up going with, let's let the receiving server decide where to send things, that receiving server isn't getting a more explicit list. And it kind of really breaks things from uh, what we'll end up talking about in the future, especially from an object capability perspective. Um, but it also just um, means that the receiving server is more likely to make a mistake and misdeliver something to somebody that they weren't supposed to deliver it to. So that's my shared inbox rant. Um, I think there are ways to move forward with it going forward, but I think that, uh, I don't know. Do you have any further thoughts on that, or do you think sufficiently ranted? Uh, I think sufficiently ranted with a little bit of clarification. So... Uh, it was a little bit unclear in your Federation example, um, Bob and Alice. So I, I just want to repeat the story as I understand it to make it a little bit more clear. So if Alice is sending, if if, um, if Alice has 4,000 followers and uh, 2,000 of them are on the same server as Bob, uh, she shouldn't, you know, her server shouldn't have to send the message uh, 2,000 times to one server. That's a lot of... That's a lot of banging on the server. Um, mm -hmm. What she could do, as you said, is send one message that says, hey, these are all the recipients, right? And just list all 2,000. And that's kind of like email. But what the modification that you guys have in as shared inbox is that she can just send one message and it'll just kind of, and then that Bob server just kind of figures out where to deliver it all by itself. Right. Um, and that is a little bit, um, as you say, that just doesn't that just doesn't flow cleanly with the rest of the protocol. It, it and it puts a lot of uh, work on implementers who are not using uh, certain data representations. It, it 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 makes it makes those servers have to do a lot of extra work and querying against databases and things that they wouldn't have to otherwise. And so that's the part that kind of irks me and. And I agree that it's a small amount of work to make that explicit, but that that that, that makes that protocol much clean, cleaner um, from an implementation perspective. Right. And I want to just make one clarification, which is that you wouldn't have to list them all out in like the to field, right? You could, in sending the message, actually put it in a special HTTP header that lists it all out, but the object doesn't have to be like a now a five megabyte object that when it's passed around or attached to other objects on the network. That, that's a good point. Okay. Okay. Yep. That's that's the end of shared inboxes rant, I think, there. So do we want to go into... Um, I actually think, you know, we, we haven't talked... You know, I brought up uh, ReviewPub, and I think that ReviewPub, and when we get into that, which will be very soon... We'll start to get into some of these implementation details of like, gee, how do you represent this data from a traditional, you know, standpoint of web development when you're trying to implement data that you, you don't know the shape of and you don't know this and you can't represent it this way or that way. Um, so I think that that's, that discussion is going to be important for that. Um, and I know that we're also simultaneously or not exactly simultaneously, but, but concurrently going to be talking about Sprightly and the work that you're doing on sort of the future of ActivityPub. So do we want to talk about, um, just give a little taste of that, of both of those, and then maybe close up? Because we're, we're, we're I, think, I think we've covered a lot. I think, I think, I, I think we can close up basically with a, 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 sh a short explanation of kind of what those two categories are. 
I think maybe a rephrasing of it is the kind of discussion with Review Pub and some of the other things that you've been implementing. I think one of them's called Bbot. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, we're is, we're going to talk about that when when we start to get into Sprightly. Right. Um. That 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 conversation is kind of um kind of untangling what a real world implementer might experience as they're as they're you know putting impl- activity pub in action partly as you actually are doing that and going down that journey yourself right um and the other one is what's kind of uh you know like if we get a little bit more science fictiony like the near future science fiction vision of what activity pub in the fediverse can c- become right and that's kind of what's happening with Sprightly and stuff like that. And uh, so I think those are kind of the two directions we're planning on bringing these conversations in the future. Would you say that's pretty accurate? Yeah. And I think that they're both important because if we just talk about today and we don't talk about the future, we're missing out. And if we just talk about the future and this you know, kind of near future sci-fi world, we're not really helping people who are trying to implement this today. So I think those are both important to to discuss. Okay, cool. Well, I think that brings us to the end of things, right? I'm with you. Um, So subscribe uh, to our Fediverse feed at LibreLounge at Floss.Social. You can also, um, since it's on Mastodon, you can tweet to us and we will generally uh, respond you can send us an email, uh, podcast at LibreLounge.org. You can follow us on Twitter at LibreLounge. And you can join our IRC channel, uh, hash LibreLounge at Freenode. We, I think as of this morning, had nearly 70 people on the IRC channel. So jot, so join us uh, where we hang out and uh, chat. Yep. All right. Uh, well, thanks for listening, everybody. Take care. You've been listening to Libre Lounge. You can find and subscribe to us at LibreLounge.org. This podcast is released under the Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 4.0 International License. Our theme music is Bossa Nova by Joth, which is waved into the public domain under CC0 and which you can find on OpenGameArt.org. If you'd like to support Chris Weber's work on this and other user freedom projects, you can donate at patreon.com forward slash c-w-e-b-b-e-r thanks for listening see you next time